Goddag og velkommen til Langsomme Samtaler. Mit navn er Rune Lykkeberg. Jeg har i den her uge talt med en af Dagbladet Informations absolute franske yndlingsforfattere. Dem har vi mange af. Men Virginie Despont, som er hende, jeg har talt med, er helt oppe i toppen. Virginie Despont's forfatterskab er temmelig enestående i Frankrig. Som hun selv siger, så er hun i modsætning til mange af sine kolleger ikke dannet på universitetet. Hun har ikke den klassisk litterære franske dannelse. Da hun var ung, forlod hun Nancy, hvor hun voksede op og tog til Lyon, hvor hun arbejdede som prostitueret i et kvarter, der hed Pont. Og derfor kalder hun sig Virginie de Pont, Virginie fra det kvarter, hvor hun arbejdede som prostitueret. Det er hendes forfatternavn i dag, det hun er formet af. Hun er ikke så inspireret af de store franske klassikere, som hun er inspireret af punkmusik, rockmusik, film noir og amerikanske tv-serier. Hendes første roman, Blodsøstre, blev et fuldstændigt kulthit, både som bog og som film. Det er snart nogle år siden. Derefter udgav hun en række af små, enormt sorte, hårdslående bøger, hvor det flød med stoffer, og som var en eller anden form for litterær fransk punk, som ingen kunne ignorere, og mange af bøgerne er i øvrigt også oversat til dansk på forlaget Tiderne skifter. Så her i det 21. århundrede har hun foretaget et drastisk skifte i sit forfatterskab. Det gjorde hun med romantrilogien om Vernon Subutex, som hedder Vernon Subutex 1, 2 og 3, som er en fantastisk fortælling om en mand, der engang havde en pladeforretning, og den pladeforretning gik nedenover hjem, fordi han blev ramt af finanskrisen og streamingtjenesterne. Derefter er den her mand, som er Vernon, han er hjemløs og overnatter hos alle sine gamle kunder, så vi får den hjemløses blik på det etablerede franske samfund, og for han finder ud af, at de alle sammen har et lorteliv. Så i stedet for at drømme om selv at etablere sig et hjem, så gør han hjemløsheden til en ny livsform og tiltrækker en masse af sine gamle venner, en masse af sine gamle kunder, og de etablerer et slags alternativt fællesskab uden for det bestående franske samfund, hvor der er højt til himlen, diskussionsklub, fest hver aften, coffee shop og beerbar, som hun skriver i Vanon Subitex. Jeg interviewede selv Virginie Despont for et par år siden omkring Vanon Subitex, hvor hun blandt andet sagde, at hun var færdig med vreden. Den vrede, hun var vokset op med som punkforfatter, var hun færdig med, fordi den ikke havde gjort hende noget godt. Hun havde set Donald Trump, og hun havde fundet ud af, at vreden det er Donald Trumps redskab. I stedet for den vilde vrede, sagde hun, skal vi nu et andet sted hen, hvor vi skal bygge ting op. Vi skal finde sammen på en anden måde på ny. Og så sagde hun noget, som står for mig som fuldstændig legendarisk, at bare fordi det mislykkedes for hippierne, betyder ikke, at man ikke skal prøve det igen. Det var så stort et projekt, hippierne havde med at opbygge fællesskaber, bygget på solidaritet, gensidig respekt, kærlighed og en forpligtelse på hinandens frigørelse. At selvfølgelig lykkes det ikke i første forsøg. Det skal man blive ved med at prøve igen og igen og igen, sagde den gamle punkforfatter altså. Nu har Virginie Pont skrevet en ny bog, som netop er udkommet på dansk. Den hedder Kære Fokhoved. Og det er en korrespondenceroman. Det er en brevroman mellem en fransk forfatter, der hedder Oscar, og en fransk skuespillerinde, som hedder Rebecca Latte. Og så indimellem er der indlæg fra en feminist, der hedder Zoe Katana. Jeg beder i starten af samtalen med Virginie Despont hende om at redegøre for karaktererne og deres interne intrige, det vil jeg ikke gå dybere ind i her. Jeg vil bare sige god fornøjelse med samtalen med en af informationsabsolute franske yndlingsforfatter Virginie Despont. 
Let me hear you first. I think it will be helpful for the conversations if you could just introduce the three main characters of the book, because we will be referring to them, but just to get them straight, Oscar, Rebecca Latte, and uh, Zoe Katana. Could you briefly uh, introduce them? So uh, the three characters, Rebecca Latte, is a, um, she's an actress. She's over 50. She used to be a very famous actress. And now she's working less and she gained some weight and she is quite funny, I hope. Oscar is a writer, he's a little bit younger, but he's in his 40s. He was accused of uh, by, by, a, by a young woman uh, to have uh, sexually harassed her. He thinks at the beginning of the novel that he's a victim. Um, and I hope uh, and he's a white guy who is listening to rap music. And I hope he's, and he's a father also. At the beginning of the novel, he's not very happy in his fatherhood, but that it gets a little better. And Zoe Katana, she's a feminist. She's a young feminist. She's the one who's talking about what happened to her with uh, Oscar. And she's quite angry. She's quite witty. Uh, she's an apologistic, and she will be very much attacked for talking. And the way that they communicate with each other is at least Rebecca and Oscar, it's through letters, which is yeah. funny. Or maybe, I don't know if it's email, but it, basically it's a funny way because no one writes letters anymore. But on the other hand, existentially, I felt this is the situation that we're in all the time, sitting alone, trying to communicate with the world. Why did you choose this form for your novel? Because I used to be a big letters writer and reader. And now I don't anymore. And I think it's a very, I thought it's a very interesting way of taking time to speak about yourself but to someone and to read about yourself, about yourself and to read about the other one. It's a relation that I thought was really interesting. And what was interesting when I published the book is that the younger people, they don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, this idea of sending mails that you have to read for. But uh, as you say, because they are very used to talk to each other through words, uh, they got into it very easily. Uh, but And I think it's interesting that what, it is, what was interesting in the letters is that you took really long time to let some things go out that you wouldn't say exactly the same way in a conversation. Uh, because because it was all a story of time and knowing that the other one was going to read you, not to listen to you and immediately answer. But it's a very it's a question of time, I think. Writing and reading, it's you, you, it's a space, a time space that we don't have anymore. So I, I thought it was interesting to imagine a friendship of people who would be a friendship really built on giving you, the other one some space, some some time and space to listen and space to talk. I liked it. And, and there's the contrast, of course, between what he writes initially about Rebecca, uh, which is a very condescending post on some social media platform, between this world of communication, social media, hateful, where you don't expect people to answer. You're writing about someone, but not to someone. And then you have the letters that are addressed personally to someone else. And these are two different uh, ways of communicating and being together. Could you tell about this difference? 
But the difference is, as you said, uh, when he writes about Rebecca, she's a fat old bitch. It's disgusting. He doesn't talk to Rebecca. He's talking to to the readers of his Instagram account or in Twitter. I don't know where it is. But when it starts to write to Rebecca and Rebecca starts to really write to him, that it's something is changing because they are slowly admitting things about themselves that they would not admit otherwise, because both of them are going to admit a lot of vulnerability, a lot of failures. It's the opposite of Instagram. On Instagram, you try to show your your best you, your your best house, your cleanest you, your you know. And now it's exactly what they are doing is exactly uh, the other way. Uh, Rebecca is going to admit that she feels some vulnerabilities. Oscar is going to admit that he has a lot of doubts, a lot of uh, fears, a lot of uh, shames. And they are going to really kind of get naked in the sense of uh, toward sincerity, toward what is uh, the, the, the most outward uh, sincerity about what they, they are. And with the trust that the other one is not going to uh, to use it against them. They are going to really listen and read. Uh, and it's a really uh, a friendship novel. And, and it's a trust that's building through the correspondence. In the beginning, she's threatening him with all sort of sanctions if he ever, if he ever revealed anything. You know, I think the novel also exposes a, another quality of writing that sometimes get lost. Because I tell my kids and the young journalists here in the newspaper, if you have a conflict, don't ever start writing on the internet about it. You know, uh, don't ever. You know, you don't a conflict if you want it to escalate and you want to be the worst version of yourself, go put it on the internet. But if you want to de-escalate, if you want to meet another person, then call them. But this is another space of writing that you're finding here in the book. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a fictional one. We, we don't have it in nowadays because we don't have time. Uh, the story takes place uh, during the quarantine, during COVID uh, isolation, so they have time. They can take time for the other one, uh, which is which is fictional. But as you say, I think uh, they don't go to escalade, and you pretty know that uh, they are both of them very able to escalate in violence and conflict. But they choose something else. They choose to uh, to 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 share some some real stuff about about their experience of life. Yeah. And Oscar is going to really change uh, during this exchange. Uh, he's going to really rethink re about uh, what has he done and what happens to him. And to ch he's going to go through a lot of changes in reality. Did you know from the beginning when you started writing the book that they would develop a friendship that would allow them to, because they take huge steps in their personal life throughout and she's very proud i'm fine with my drugs oh you know <laughs> i master the drugs i'm i'm an old alcoholic so i've been to 1000 aa meetings so i know all about this and i know these songs this is so good for me i'm a master of this and then she's liberated from that did you know that they would be developing themselves like that yeah i wanted i want uh, i from the beginning i wanting uh, i wanted it to be a really an, an encounter, a place where the idea that if you meet someone who is able to listen to you and to make you feel safe enough to talk um, 
with sincerity, uh, it is life changing. Yeah, it was the idea of the beginning for me that they are going to help each other um, just by the okay. I gonna I see you. I hear you. I judge you sometimes because because it's funnier uh, for the for the story. But I don't judge you up to the point to exclude you or to to tell you that I don't understand what you are trying to say. And I thought I think it is it is life changing when you meet a real friend. I think it gives you um, it helps you and it changes you really to to feel to feel seen and to feel. Uh, they protect each other at the end of the day uh, of many things. I feel in your later work that there is a longing for another way for us to be together, that the same persons can be together in a different way. Of course, in Vernon Subutex, it's these start with the meetings in the park that you call group therapy, coffee shop under open air, and the discussion club where you open this space for people. <clears throat> and here... Of course, it's helping both of them that that he starts in the NA and she 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 follows him. But there is a sense of longing for another community in your work, isn't there? Uh, I think it's uh, in my real life. It's something really important to um, the communities. the The sense of what is meeting people, really meeting them, not uh, not only taking a a coffee, um, but really meeting people and having a relation, uh, which is not um, uh, love relation, but what is really friendship is really important to me, and what is collectives is really important to me, and I think it is for other people too. If you find some groups where you can uh, find you belong, even if you don't look like the people, even if you don't have the same experience, the same age. I think it's uh, this is one of the most important things to feel uh, to feel protected, yeah, to feel um, stable. And so I'm very interested in all those experiences, like in Vernon Subutex, uh, of people gathering to not only to talk, but really to find something more than being alone. Yeah, I'm very interested in that. So Narcotic Anonym was something I, I was very interested in because it's exactly this kind of experience. People were meeting uh, not for money, uh, not for power, not for um, fighting against uh, something external, but to be better persons. I think it's uh, we can help each other to be better persons. Yeah, uh, caring. Yeah. It's funny because as someone who's been in these meetings 1,000 times as, as I have, you always wonder that this way of what is it about this institution? I mean, sometimes I look at people and I think, well, if I was working with you, I really I really would be fighting with you all the time. <laughs> or, or, you know, if we were discussing on, 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 on the Internet, I, 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 I would be I would be hating you because, you know, you tell your grievances what happened during the day. What is it about this community that's so special? It works. It's a miracle. So it's, uh, and, and it works because as you say, some people that you would never dream of uh, meeting in real life, in uh, everyday life, then you find a space where you're going to be um, good, uh, when you are going to be open-minded when they talk, and what when your desire, your sincere desire is, I hope you well. I hope you are fine at the at the end of the day. I hope I can help you. 
I will take some time to help you if you need some. And I know that you will take some time to help me if I need to. And this is a miracle when you think about it. And, and it works incredibly because I think the fact that you can sit somewhere and tell your truth without trying to be at your best or trying to be funny or trying to be interesting, just to be there and to be to feel that you belong, it's very, it, it, it gives you something that you don't, that is really precious, that is really precious. And it's a miracle because it works. So I think it's fantastic. <laughs> Have you been to these meetings? I've been to these meetings to see, you know, I was I was willing to make um, a book about drugs. That was my first uh, option. So I was talking a lot to people around me. Uh, how, how did you deal with your drugs? How did you deal with drugs? And um, most of the time, the ones who are dealing the best are the ones who are going to meetings. So it was interesting for me. But one thing that's interesting is that you're writing about the meetings. They're written about in the letters. They they report from the meetings, but you're not reporting. You you know there are no direct situations from the meetings in your book. They're referred to. No, because you can't write a letter when being at a meeting. So yeah. it's about the meeting, the meeting are really all the all the all the time they are happening, but they are at the very quickly in the book. There are two persons of Narcotic Anonym who are sharing out of outside of the, the rooms, but uh, they are becoming, uh, they belong to the fraternity. And they create a tiny fraternity uh, of two people, but what they do together is exactly what they do in the rooms. Uh, they are going to share and to share with sincerity and to share with um, the belief that they can help the each other that they are going to help each other to become better persons in reality, better versions of themselves. I think Oscar puts it very well when he says, or when you let him say, say that that this is where I genuinely feel happy for other people doing well. You know, when you applaud someone, and this is where people there's an experience of genuine solidarity that you're actually happy for someone else doing well. So it's kind of the world of competition ended there. Yeah, yeah. Competition and and you identify uh, in the sense of uh, it could happen to you too. Uh, this is your success too. Uh, you belong to the same. And it's not, again, it's not common. It's not common to be able to be really happy for someone. And it's not common also for me. Uh, I think it's really interesting that it's not common that people applaud you and you feel uh, it's it's right. Uh, you don't feel uh, you're not an imposter, uh, you know, and that's not so. Um, uh, that's a miracle, also. Yeah, drugs were always important in your work. There were always a lot of drugs in your work in different ways, but always this. I, I thought when I was reading your first books that this was something that we all, you know, there's a lot of people taking drugs. We pretend they're not. Something that's normal is not part of normality. This appeared to me to be your ambition in the beginning, showing, well, this is very normal some places, but not other places. What, what, what did drugs do in your earlier works? Um, in my earlier works, I don't know, because I was very young when I started to write, and drugs were really a big part of my life. 
uh, and I was very comfortable with it. So I suppose drugs uh, at this time they were like good friend, a very good friend, uh, someone you can count on. That would be uh, for, that was always here to comfort you. Also, drug when you start to write. You understand very quickly that alcohol is really part of the game uh, for a writer. It's really a tradition. It's like it's going with the field. It's coming with a job. And then slowly, in my case, uh, around 30, in my in my 30, it, it became a problem. And then the problem began because it was a problem and I couldn't stop. Uh, so it was like a second phase of what, what was drugs in, in my And also because with money, came harder drugs and better access to harder drugs. So it became a problem. But um, I tend, I, uh, when I was young, it was it was more like uh, part of the kind of books I was writing. And, and yeah, it was very, you can tell what drugs I'm taking when you read my books. And you can tell when I'm not happy about it. And you can tell when I quit. It's really <laughs> like everything part here. Yeah. <laughs> but there's this which seems new in, in your in your work. This very the way they that they both become sober. We call it an AA sober. I don't know what you call it in, in AA. That this is their this is a way of gaining themselves or of becoming their authentic selves. Well, what what is what, what is this path of becoming sober for them? For them, it's really uh, both of them. First, it comes for both of them with a surprise of how difficult it is to quit. That because it comes as a surprise for them to understand how important it was, uh, and then it's like uh, they get to be courageous. Uh, to be able to, because becoming sober is also, mm, well, uh, losing someone uh, you were, uh, losing someone bold, so losing someone who had the solution for every problem, always the same solution for all kind of problems. Um, so they discover themselves and they are quite grown up, both of them. They are surprised to discover that they are shy, to discover that they have some shames, to discover that they are some, that they are not uh, superheroes. Uh, in the case of Rebecca, it's really like getting rid of the superhero. She used to be a superhero, and now she's uh, an aging woman with some problems. But at the same time, it comes also with a, uh, both of them very quickly with a sense of... Um, um, tranquility, uh, something about harmony, about yeah. being, feeling more comfortable uh, being themselves. So it's it's a good news for the both of them. <laughs> and I think in the book, it also makes it kind of liberating to get older, that it's kind of they achieve a kind of freedom, which is, you know, in the culture that we grew up with, getting older is just dying slowly. That's it. Yeah. But here, but here, but here it's like conquering some freedom, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think Rebecca is trying to express it. Is also getting sober, being older. It makes her very much more in contact with everything she has going. She's been through. Uh, she feels very rich about uh, all all the life she had. Uh, this life, it's it's done. It was fantastic, and you can't take it away from her. And this is. Uh, 
what, what she discovers. Uh, she's very strong with her life uh, being done and being in in the uh, in the way she feels it a success. And it's I tried to express it through Rebecca. I don't know, but yeah. And it, but for both of them, it's really like they feel well. They feel uh, they feel they, they achieved something uh, that is going to make them able to be. It's like traveling in foreigner's country. They travel in a new country and the country is fine. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. The friendship between them is very interesting. Their, their characters are interesting because it seems to me that they come from the same social class. They share a, a history. They're not exactly the same age, so they don't share it, but they share the social class. And it seems to me that their social class unites them more than their gender divides them. That they have more in common because could you elaborate on that or maybe I'm wrong? No, no, it was really important to me. Both of them, they come from a very uh, little country, uh, a little city of France, which is my city of, of birth. So then it's not a city you uh, often encounter on books because it's really the east of France. It's not very, it's not beautiful. It's not, so they, they come from that neighborhood. And they come from the same social background that I do. Uh, and I think that I have more in common with a guy with uh, from this kind of neighborhood that I have in common with uh, a French uh, feminist from higher classes. I will have some things to do with um, high classes feminists sometimes. But in general, we won't share much. Um, I, I will share more than because it's very important. Your relation to culture, your relation to money, your relation to success, your relation to gender, but also your gen your, your relation to police. A lot of things are defined by where did you grow, uh, what did you learn in your teenage, uh, what experience was your. Uh, so uh, I'm very interested in Me Too, very interested in feminism, but I feel that I have more, gender is not an obsession for me. I'm not, it's very important to know what's your gender, but it's not the only thing that define you. Uh, so that was very important for me to work about it. And it's very interesting because some of the things that Rebecca says and does would typically be said by a man. That was something I can master my drugs and fuck you, I'm going to tear your eyes out if you ever rat on me. And he loves talking about, you know, he's almost talking about too too much about his inner life in the beginning. You know, he's, he's he, he, and, and those are kind of the caricatures of a woman and a man. Was that intended? Yeah, because uh, he has a lot of feminine uh, features. At the same time, Oscar, for example, is the one who is struggling with fatherhood, which is normally a more a feminine subject in literature like motherhood is very important but fatherhood not so much and here he is struggling with the, the daughter and she doesn't have any children and Rebecca is really she's a viking she's really a, she's a brute uh, and I was interested uh, also about it because I like the she's supposed to be a French actress who really embodied uh, French femininity she was really one of the most beautiful uh, women of France, da, da, da. and I like it when I meet the actresses, for example, that very often there is like a it's like a shock between who they are and what they 
what they embody. And I liked it. I like that Rebecca is really the tough guy. She's really, but her body is a, used to be the body of really uh, uh, the, the, the French actress. I liked it. Yeah. I appreciate it very much too. There's also the Me Too, which is not as much an incident as a, several episodes, which are very, very, uh, very, I think they're very, very interesting and very important for this moment that we're in now. First, why, why did you want to bring this? Because Oscar is not a rape, you know, he's not a very brutal rapist. He's your average offense someone and blind about his own privilege. He's been a prick. You know, he's been a prick, but not a brutal rapist. Why did you bring it in like this? There are two reasons. The first reason it was that um, it came from a story in France. We were at a dinner, uh, some feminist lesbians all working in the um, publishing industry. And one of us told, you know, this guy, he's going to have a Me Too. This is what he's done. And it was this kind of story. Like, you immediately believe he did it because obviously, but at the same time, he was uh, the guy, funny guy. He was a funny guy. He's a very drunk guy, the very drugged guy, the very stupid guy, but nice guy. And I, we all had a very long conversation. What are we going to do? If there is a me too and him, what are we going to do? Are we going to stop to talk to him? Are we going to call him? Are we going to... What the fuck? And I think it happened to a lot of people. At the end of the day, it never happened. Nothing happened. But this conversation, this dinner, I was really like, what I, for example, with a French feminist, very known in France from my, what, what fuck, what am I going to do? Uh, and it was all of us a little bit like, because we know he's a prick. We know he did it. And it doesn't... Uh, and he's one of the nice guy, and it it's it's me too was complicated for sometimes uh, about it. So I thought uh, let's take this as a as a beginning for a story. Uh, what what happens with someone like Oscar? But I was also interested in what is it for a guy to be very huge on drugs, very high on drugs about his ability to understand that no is no, that this is too far, that she's not taking it well. What There is a relation for me that men don't try to do, uh, and they should, I think, about your concept. For example, if you're very high on cocaine and alcohol, obviously you're, you're going to be a worst person with women if you have a problem at the beginning of the day. It's not going to help. And I think I was interested in the fact that Oscar uh, will choose to stop using drugs because he felt that it was the only thing he could do to protect himself from this uh, all this shit. Because I think, um, I think yeah, men should think about, shall I drink so much uh, when I know I'm an asshole? Or am I going to do something really bad? Um, and because I, I think it's not helpful. No, but and there's the, it, of course, it's hard for him. But what is devastating to read in the book is how it, 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 it it's also very, very tough on Zoe Katana. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so and I think that's what was, was so beautiful about the book is that you actually feel sorry for both of them. But 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 she's calling. What happens to her? 
during the book, she so she tells a story and then she receives a lot of threatening and attacks and insults on internet and she can't stand it and she really makes a, a breakdown. She and at the end of the book, I hope uh when I write the book, what I think is that she's going to forget about it. She's going to be able to because there is something in, important in the book is that Oscar uh, is going through a process that uh, makes him able to understand that, yes, he did something wrong, that, yes, he has to go and plead, he recognize that he's done it and that he doesn't know how to repair. He doesn't know what to do once, once he says, okay, uh, I admit, uh, I understand what uh, what we are talking about, and I feel like shit. And what can I do? And Zoe answers that, uh, well, fuck you. She doesn't want to talk to him. But I hope that this character is going to um, that it is important when your when your aggressor admits that he has done something, and that you can maybe start to repair. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I hope so in the book. So Zoe, Zoe Katana, and in, within the process of the book, Zoe Katana also became good friend with Rebecca. Um, so I think Rebecca can help her a little bit to be more biking, uh, to be more like, fuck him, it doesn't matter, go on. <laughs> Yeah. But it's a part where Rebecca says, and of course Rebecca's older than Zoe is. You know, when I look at how the young people use social media, say, "Oh, don't do it. It's not good for you. You get too angry. You make enemies all the time. You make enemies all the time." And maybe they, don't, maybe they're better at coping at than I. Do. But she looks at her and says, "Well, this digital activism is not good for her." She says, "Well, she's the older woman looking at the young woman, saying she's trapped in a game." that makes hostilities all around her and it's structural what's your criticism of it i don't my, my i don't have criticism of it i this is how i feel when i because i i'm very i'm reading a lot the young feminist on inter, on internet i'm following them i'm uh, because I'm very interested in what they are going through uh, and I'm very worried about how strongly they are attacked and I don't know I'm very pro, I'm very there is nothing made to help them to and I'm very I feel like an old woman looking young woman and this is uh, the advice I'm it's a lot of uh, protect yourself and just take a, but they don't because they don't have the same relation uh, with internet. Internet is really like real life for them. It's a, it's a question of life or death. So they go on and they go on. But I go, I see them really, it's a war. It's very, very, very tough. So I don't know what to, I, I feel very, I don't know what to tell them. Um, I don't know. So I don't have a criticize. I understand what Rebecca says because this is what I feel like. Stop, don't do that. It's too difficult. <laughs> and I'm very amazed about Me Too in general, how high price uh, the women who talk are paying. I see, especially in France, men are really well protected, but yeah. it, it's a joke. They are really, solidarity here really plays uh, at full and they really are, they don't want that feminist wave to pass, and they are really making a 
body against it. Uh, and I see that the women who are talking, they pay a very high price. Uh, but I see also that when they are young women and they, they go on with their lives and uh, I hope, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> hope, I hope it's okay. Um, I'm happy they are not my daughters because I would be sick. I would be <laughs> people, I think. <laughs> but I think the strength of Me Too, the Me Too movement is, is definitely that you disclose something that's hidden away and as soon as it's disclosed then then <clears throat> nobody maybe in france but generally people don't defend it so it's like oh so the whole offense is based on the fact that it's hidden that no one sees it so as soon as you know well we're going to show it that will cultivate so i think it's a huge progress that that the aggressor knows you can't hide it and you see a lot of open yeah. doors now no, and, and to me, there is something very important also that they are not alone anymore. Uh, I, I, I grew up in a world when, when you had uh, this kind of uh, problem or drama, uh, you were absolutely alone because you couldn't talk about it to anyone because uh, you, you were alone. And now loneliness is absolutely over. Uh, young feminists on the internet, yeah, they are very much attacked. But they are also very much read and listened and talked about and because they are connected, we are connected. And this loneliness, I think it changed everything if you, you, you're not alone in, anymore because you can't feel ashamed uh, within, a, within a group if you have a lot of women around you. And also what uh, to me was a big, big change is I see some young men and they are different. Some young men, they, they did change. They, they understood, they, they listened, they, uh, they're okay. And they didn't, I think they are new and they make that could make a difference also. I think, I think so too. Uh, the question is whether the young men that are different, they are the minority or they are the majority because you also have very strong anti-feminism among young men. Absolutely, absolutely. But... Uh, before it was not a subject you did you never um, there was the, 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 it did not exist a minority of young men who were interested in feminism uh, they, they, they were not interested period so now this minority is uh, creating itself and this would be a new masculinity even if they are the minority something is happening that is new and that is i think is can be can be important I think your book also there's a very beautiful passage near the end where they talk about a, a, a corner in the house of feminism, a yeah. corner of peace in the house of of feminism, where you can kiss the 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 prick on the mouth afterwards and you can listen to words and you can reach peace. And I think there's a point in that that the me too mechanism is very, very strong at accusing. But it's very hard at making peace, and it's actually very hard on the women themselves. It depends. Um, yeah, it's a, when you have a political movement, uh, it's not peaceful in general. Huh? It, uh, no. in, if you go on war, we need to change the world. You you don't. But there is also some, uh, like I said, uh, this feeling of not being alone is really important, and there is a house of feminism. And in what I want to say is, I, I'm, I live half of the time in Spain, and for example, I 
feel that uh, the house of feminism in Spain and in Latin America is much more able to generate some peace and some place where it's not all about uh, how do men treat women. It's also about how do we uh, how do we consider ourselves uh, as economical members and how can we help each other as uh, working forces as and it gives you a lot of strength uh, and a lot of peace. So I think the house of feminism it depends on the on the season. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, in your work, which is very, very inspiring at this moment in time, I feel it's really addressing something that needs to be addressed. Just the sheer mentality of it, this going from social media outrage, reaching each other through letters, building contacts, going from being enemies to being to being friends, finding peace with each other. I think that's a part in, and I really like that. When I read it, I say, oh, let's do the hippies once more. We should, <laughs> we should try it. And you know, uh, anger is not helping us. It's helping Trump. It's we, we can't tear things down. We must build things up. So on the one hand, I feel that ambition. On the other hand, I get really pissed fucking angry when I look at how the nature is destroyed, how the rich people own everything, how, you know, the war in Gaza, how do you manage this sense of we want to be peaceful with each other, but there's a lot to be angry at in the world? Um, more or less, I think now the, the anger game, the anger tool, anger the tool, belongs more to young people. Uh, and I hope they are going to find out something to, I mean, to take the, the house back, the whole house back. And that what we are witnessing now, which is a sheer nightmare, is the end of something, uh, an old story, and that something else is going to happen. And that, uh, but I think m people my age, anger is no longer a good tool. Uh, but I, I understand if I, uh, that young people might be very, very angry, uh, but it's different. It's a different, it's like the same, uh, both of the, at the same time, it, it's important that some people are, really able to go on war now to to go against what's not not right and really not right and at the same time to be able to dream of things that uh, are going to be better because we don't we can't afford to lose the dreaming uh, battle we have to dream of to be absolutely convinced that things can be better it's very it's a very important battle to to be the dreamers you know and i think all people we should be the dreamers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that difficult because it's so interesting this way that people build themselves, that they achieve sincerity, they achieve authenticity, they achieve solidarity, really. And, you know, when I, I'm a little younger than you, but not much. When we were growing up, it was all about, you know, anarchy in the UK, tearing things down. Is it is it difficult for you to write literature that is uh, in, the, in this vibe? Is, do you feel you have to go somewhere else than what you grew up with? No, because I think when I was young and I was uh, so me, I was young in the eighties and all the punk movement. It was also a desire to to live. It was also a desire to to say no to bullshit, to say I don't insult my intelligence with bullshit. I know you're lying. I want something else. I don't want this kind of I don't want to go to work every every day uh, without in silence. I don't want to obey, and it was a little bit the same thing, but with a young energy. Now I'm working with a 
more mature energy. But I don't feel very, it's not very different. And I think it's very uh, powerful to, to think I'm going to write a book with something positive inside because it's uh, not natural. <laughs> you have to make a, you know, you know, a desire. You have to really, and I think this is not, it, it is powerful to be positive in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely powerful. My last question is, when I tell something, tell someone about your book, I, they tend to get, uh, they tend to look absent-minded at me because I'm not very good at telling about it because they think it's like some sort of self-help trip that I'm on. That 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 is about <laughs> oh, gaining positivity, you know. Uh, and I say no, it's not that at all. It's, it's this is the real, the, 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 this is the real deal. But you get why they're confused because I don't tell <laughs> it right. But, oh, I love it. These people first they were had this fight, but then they were friends and they met through letters and so great. And where do you find inspiration for this way of being building something positive that's not in the self-help literature? No, for example, I'm very, I'm very, I'm reading uh, Ursula Le Guin. You know, yes. she was uh, and her work of interviews. It's really inspiring because it's uh, for her. It's really like a, a duty of a writer to write utopies and not dystopies. And that it is difficult to be able to build some utopies. Uh, and I think she, this is where I'm looking for, for example, or uh, I'm reading I'm reading some older writers that are inspiring in this way of uh, thinking we have to be able to, uh, to propose some better world and to be able to not, to think that there is an alternative. That the, the 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 stories are telling us that there's no alternative. It's done. Uh, don't even look for something better. Uh, they won forever. I think no. There is an alternative. It can be better. It can, they they can be defeated, and we can win. And I think it's important on the political level. Yeah. There's. Thank you so much. You're helping us believing that we see your alternative. We get so much joy and pleasure out of your work. Thank you, Virginie Dippo. Thank you very much. Ciao. Det var så min samtale med Virginie Depont. Den bog, som vi talte om, hedder Kære Fokhoved på dansk. Den er udgivet på Gyllendals forlag, og hvis man gerne vil læse en anmeldelse af den, så kan man jo faktisk gå ind i informationsarkiv og søge på Virginie Depont Kære Fokhoved. Og hvis man så ikke kan læse anmeldelsen, fordi man ikke er abonnent, så er det jo alle tiders lejlighed til at blive abonnent. Man får en paywall op, og jeg siger, prøv det, venner. Prøv at blive abonnenter på avisen. Hemmeligheden er, at man skal kunne læse det, man selv synes er interessant. Man skal ikke forestille sig, at man skal læse det hele. Prøv det, som I selv synes er interessant. Giv jer i kast med at se blandt andet alt det, vi har skrevet om Virginie Depont. Må ikke I så bliver glade for at være medlemmer af Informationsklub af abonnentkammerater. Det er jeg faktisk helt sikker på. Den her samtale var ligesom vores forrige samtaler, produceret og redigeret af vores vidunderlige ven og enestående hjælper, Mads Adam Wiener. I næste uge skal vi tale med en anden fransk kvinde, men en helt anderledes fransk kvinde. Det er den unge franske klimaaktivist Camille Etienne, som er blevet kaldt for Frankrigs Greta Thunberg eller Frankrigs Louise Neubauer. Jeg vil i stedet for at sige, at hun er Frankrigs nye klimaaktivist. Hun er Camille Etienne.
Tak for, at I lyttede med i dag. Jeg håber, I også vil lytte med næste uge.